Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 39th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So this week, we have another special guest on the podcast today to talk about the markets and some key data points with Matt and I. And joining us this week is Paul Hickey. Paul is the founder of Bespoke Investment Group and head portfolio manager for Bespoke's Wealth Management Services. Uh, Paul's professional experience in finance runs the spectrum of equities, fixed income, and structured products. And he is also a frequent guest on Bloomberg and CNBC. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, certainly an exciting uh, time to be on and talking about the markets and and everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, we love your guys' research and, you know, we, uh, we quote you guys a decent bit. So Matt and I thought it'd be, it'd be great to have you on to, uh, to talk about especially what's going on right now and what you're seeing in your research and your data. Um, so before we get started, Paul, I just want to briefly discuss some performance numbers for the major indices that we track and point out some things to listeners that have happened over the past week. So if you uh, need another cup of coffee, you can go grab that and uh, we'll be back with you here in one second. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. So uh, as always, everybody, we're going to run through um, the performance of the major indices that we track for the month and for the year. And this data is as of the close on March 25th, and it's from stockcharts.com. S&P 500 index is down 16.2% for the month and down 23.38% for the year. The Dow down 16.56% for the month and down 25.71% for the year. The NASDAQ down 13.81% for the month and down 17.7% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is down 24.56% for the month and down 33.36% for the year. Uh, the MSCI International Index X United States down 16.77% for the month and down 25.81% for the year. Uh, the three-month T-bill currently yielding 0% after briefly dipping below that yesterday, which I'm sure we can get into today. Uh, the two-year Treasury yield currently sitting at 0.34% uh, and the 10-year at 0.88%. Um, so again, before we get into it with Paul here, um, just a couple of other housekeeping items that we mentioned last week and some updates that we want to get out to listeners. Um, the U.S. extended the individual tax filing deadline from April 15th um, to July 15th. So last week, we knew that tax payments were delayed until July 15th, and there were some questions on if the tax filing deadline was also going to get extended, and we got that answer last Friday. So um, that has been extended. However, if you are expecting a tax refund, um, filing sooner rather than later would probably help uh, to get that refund check into your account sooner. So um, if you are expecting a refund, I think it would make sense to uh, continue to file as early as possible. 
Another data headline that hit our, um, you know, news uh, headlines this morning was unemployment numbers were released this morning and it was a big number. So it was a record 3.28 million workers applied for unemployment benefits last week. Um, so this is something that I think uh, the market was pricing in as, you know, as we're recording this, the markets are actually up uh, briefly here. And this is something that we'll talk about with Paul about reactions of the market um, to certain data that we're going to see over the next couple of months. But um, we did get a large spike in unemployment numbers as was expected. And the last thing I just want to mention is that the Senate passed a $2 trillion relief bill to go to the House to a vote. Um, so, and when you actually look at the uh, the loans included in this program, it actually looks like the package is closer to $6 trillion. And Matt and I have decided we're going to do a podcast dedicated to reviewing this package in more detail um, because there is a lot to talk about in here that's going to impact a lot of Americans. So we want to wait and see if the House actually passes it because we know how, um, you know, Congress can be. So we want to make sure that, you know, this actually, this bill as it is now gets passed before we start to dissect it. So um, you can expect that hopefully early next week, uh, we'll break it down for everybody. Um, so Paul, do you just want to kind of start out by giving an intro to yourself and kind of a background and how you got started in this industry? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I've since like, as early as I can remember, I've always had a you know a big interest in the stock market. I took a class trip to the New York Stock Exchange when I was in second grade. Uh, one of the benefits of growing up in the New York area, and I just thought it was amazing to see everything going on there. Um, in my family background, um, my father was a financial advisor, and my brothers uh, were in the industry. And dinner conversation always focused on the stock market, especially at the holidays. We would always bet on family bets on where the Dow would close the, fi the following year, and then we would settle the bets the following Christmas. So um, it, it was just always in, in, my, in my blood, and I enjoyed it. I mean, one of my – another memory like uh, that I was thinking, I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks is you know when I was in fifth grade uh, coming home from school and then my dad coming home and my mom knowing that my dad is going to be very upset uh, because it was the day of the stock market crash in 87 and I remember you know vividly remember sitting on the couch um, in the TV room we were all watching around the TV um, about what was going to happen uh, my brother-in-law who had just married my sister was even over and they were just talking about it was just like nothing anyone had ever seen before at the time and you know the, the reaction and the worry on people's you know on my father's face and everyone else in my brother's face my brother-in-law's face was just you know I, re I remember to this day because nobody knew you know what this meant what was going to happen and um, fortunately the outcome of that was a positive event, but, um, you know, that's just stuck with me. And then when I, my first job out of college, I was, uh, it was working at Solomon Smith Barney on their emerging markets desk. And sure enough, it was like three months after that, that, uh, the Asia crisis and, and then the year later that Russia, um, defaulted. So that was another big, uh, tumultuous time where people were really worried about what was going to happen. What did this mean? Um, the stock market even closed uh, early that day because uh, we had such a big decline when the circuit breakers kicked in. That was the last time up until two weeks ago 
that the circuit breakers had actually ever, you know, kicked in. Um, and then uh, I left them. I've always had an interest in the equity market and I've been in emerging markets. It wasn't the path I wanted to take. So I moved into uh, an equity focused area right around uh, 2000 when the uh, dot com bubble burst. So uh, again, this was just another tumultuous time. And then, uh, you know, of uncertainty. And then when we started Bespoke uh, in 2007, which was right before the financial crisis came about. So again, here we have a repeating of the same process. And you're probably getting a trend here that my timing of career changes hasn't been the best uh, throughout history because uh, yeah. every can industry you us, Can you give us a heads up if you're going <laughs> to change jobs or industries again so we can make the proper yeah, adjustments? exactly, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should move into like uh, treasuries now, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, but Paul, so we love, this is Matt. We love your research, but that would be helpful temporarily. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that would be, be if I change careers. I think I should tell the world because that'll be the uh, number one uh, number one piece of advice I think people could take. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but I think what what all these different events from 1987 when I was a kid to all these other events um, have have shown is that you know some of them were quick like 1987 some of them lasted a couple of years like 2000 um, and and the 2007 um, ultimately the market found its footing and recovered and so I think uh, you know. This is right now we're in a very uncertain time in the market. Nobody knows when this is going to pass um, and and what the what the drivers are going to be to take us out of it, but it will pass. And so it may not be next week it, or it may be next week, uh, but or but it, the odds are we're going to be dealing with this for a little while and then eventually the markets will recover. And it's just very important that as investors, we stay focused on the market and and listen to the signals that we're getting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's excellent advice, Paul. Um, so what do you, um, before we dump head for, or jump head first into it, what are kind of like your um, your day-to-day roles and responsibilities? So when, when we aren't under quarantine rules or stay-at-home <laughs> uh, policies, you know, what are you doing in the office um, other than, you know, going out and doing some uh, interviews and stuff uh, on major financial media stations? Yeah, so I mean, we're we're a small firm, uh, and uh, you know, as you would know, be as well. I think uh, being on the small side, uh, everybody has role is involved in every process of the um, of the of the business. So, uh, still very active, uh, you know, on the research side of things. We have our you know one of our group, more popular reports that we send out to clients each day is our morning lineup report. And it just goes through, you know, it's a quick, we call it a market cheat sheet of, you know, the, the various uh, events going on in the market overnight and in the morning, as well as giving a, you know, an overview of where the various indices stand, where the various technical indicators stand. So an, adv- an advisor or an active investor or, you know, any of our clients can look at this report real quickly and just get an idea of what the market uh setup is heading into the trading day. So that we put, we start putting that together, uh, you know, real early in the morning. Um, and I'm, I'm involved in that every day. Uh, and we send that out and then throughout the day, we're just, you know, you know, picking up things as they, they come up, uh, addressing them. And then as you were mentioning, 
earlier, we have a small wealth management uh, business that we have, and it's mostly just prior clients who would just ask us to take over their accounts for them. And um, myself and my partner, Justin Walters, are uh, key in um, managing those uh, portfolios. But it's a, it's a team effort. Everyone's involved in different aspects of the, uh, of the business and running, and everybody plays a role. So it's, um, you know, being in a small firm, it has its advantages and disadvantages, but uh, it, it, it's nice to uh, have a role in everything from picking up the phone to, you know, getting uh, office supplies or to producing the research where, you know, we're all involved in all aspects of the business. Paul, that's great. This is Matt. And I'm going to tell you every morning, the first thing I do is I read the Bespoke Morning lineup. So I, I find it very oh, uh, informational. I love it. Um, so we quote you guys a lot in the podcast, as, as Mark mentioned. Um, I'll dig right into it. You know, what is your research telling you right now in regards to the equity markets? Okay. Uh, well, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough uh, situation because, uh, you know, we can get into it, but there's really nothing, there's not much in the way. Every, every time it's a different uh, circumstance that impacts the market, but there's really been nothing like this. Um, I think we can start with the easy stuff. Uh, we're in a bear market, although right now the Dow isn't that far from being up 20% off its lows, which is a technical definition of a bull market. If you believe <laughs> right. that, but that just should, <laughs> that just shows how volatile things have been. But so we're we're basically in a bear market and we're in a recession. So that's the easy part. Uh, the hard part is that I mean, as we were discussing in our client report last week, the 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 market right now um, it's you know essentially broken. Um, you know when you look at the definition of a market, if you just Google it, you'll see that it it's a, you know, a regular gathering of people for the purchase and sale of provisions, livestock and other commodities, but there's nothing regular about what we're seeing and what we've seen in the market over the last month. Um, and I'm not just saying that because it's down, it's, I'm saying it because of the volatility um, in, in every asset class. So you start with the S and P 500 uh, depending on the day, we've seen some of the best days in the indices history and some of the worst days in the indices history. Uh, I mean, you, you don't tend to see that in a normal um, market environment. Uh, in the treasury market, same thing. Um, the TLT ETF, one day it had its best day in its history. The next day it had its worst day in its history. Um, the VIX is volatility like we've never seen before. Um, and crude oil, we're seeing very similar things. Um, or individual stocks. I mean, Boeing, it was down 45% last week. It's up 75% this week. I mean, if that's normal, I mean, I don't know. Or if that's regular, I don't know. But it, it's not the type of behavior that we see in a normal environment. And I think that's just a function of just the backdrop of we're dealing with an intentional shutdown of the economy. Um, and that is just creates a, an entire vacuum. Um, yeah, Paul. I mean, so one thing one thing I'll throw out there is you know we've seen these dramatic price dislocations the past few weeks due to the lack of liquidity. In our last week's podcast, we highlighted you know a big move in Sherwin Williams over a ninety minute period, and you know we saw that stock being down you know about approximately twenty five percent, and then uh, ninety minutes later at the close, it closed only down six. And these are historic <laughs> moves you would never normally see. And so one of my prepared questions is, where else are you seeing these price dislocations and what do you feel needs to occur 
for a more orderly price discovery to happen? I, I think the better question is where aren't we seeing these types of moves? Yeah. Because it's yeah, everywhere. I mean, when you see the tre treasury ETF close 5% uh, off of its net asset value, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. There's no and Paul, we're talking about treasuries um, here, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 I mean, it's, it, it, it's completely um, reflective of a broken market. Um, so that's the bad news. I mean, we're, but we're, what we have seen is we're seeing at least the Fed has stepped up in a big way. And, um, you know, whether or not you agree with what they're doing is, could be another 10 podcasts, but I mean, they've <laughs> stepped up and they're, 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 you know, they're, they're, you know, plugging the, the hole um, or the hole, so to speak. Um, and now we have the federal government stepping up and, and providing not stimulus, but support for this economy that we've put into, you know, an induced coma. Um, so this, these two uh, events, these two pro or programs of the Fed and the federal government are going to, you know, at least um, provide a temporary relief um, until the economy can get back on track. So uh, that's very good in our, in our view. Um, the focus now has to be shift to when the economy will get back online. Um, you know, there's been so much criticism over the last couple of weeks about how every level of government was just caught flat-footed with uh, heading into this pandemic. But so now what's really important is that even if we're not ready to reopen, uh, get the economy back up and running, we actually, we have to start planning for it because the longer, I mean, if you keep a, a patient in a, an induced coma, the longer they're in, in that state, the more, you know, damage it can do. And the, when, when you try and bring the, the patient out, uh, there's going to be atrophy in the, in, in the economy, uh, that works up that builds up the longer we're out of commission. So um, I think we really just have, that has to be a plan and it's not, it's not being insensitive to, or, you know, irresponsible. It's just, we have to start talking about these things so that we, we are ready to, to get up and rolling. We can say, okay, so this area of the country has seen, has passed its, its curve. Okay. We can reopen things, but then how do we answer the question of, well, do we keep people out that are from areas that, haven't seen that uh, curve. So there's all sorts of questions that have to be answered and plans that have to be made. And I think it's good that we're starting to have these conversations. Um, you know, the economy, we probably won't be back to normal by Easter. I think most people will agree, but we have to at least have at least one side pushing for that because we can't just say, okay, let's just wait till everything's better. And then we'll just be back to our merry ways because that's not, I mean, that's, it's going to be a difficult process bringing things back online. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think either way you put it, it's like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, whether you wait longer or whether you get things online better, there's going to be consequences with both, both of those decisions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you put it great there. Um, you, you know, companies when they're ready to bring people back to work, are those workers going to be there? Or are they going to have gone to other jobs and then bringing in new employees? I mean, you've experienced it in, you know, in your career, when you bring a new employee on, they, they're not fully productive on day one. It takes yeah. time to train them, yeah. get them, get them up and running. So it's, I mean, these are all things we have that have to be taken into account. And, um, you know, and the longer we keep things, on hold, the more likely it is there's going to be those uh, dislocations and movement. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into my next, my next question. So, you know, as you can imagine, I'm sure you've gotten this question before. Everyone's asking us, hey, when is this going to end? And, you know, just from my research, I wanted to see if you agreed with me here on common themes that we typically see um, with how the way bear markets end. Um, and I know that if me or you could answer that question, we probably wouldn't be here on this podcast. My answer is usually, hey, if I knew I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere. Um, so obviously, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the case. But um, typically, at least in my research, um, there's three common themes um, around finding bottoms in, in bear markets. Number one is panic selling. Um, number two is that markets bottom before um, you know, we start to get good news. And number three, um, just kind of in addition to that, I guess you can call it 2A, is that you know, markets bottom before the economy turns around. So would you agree or disagree with that? And do you have anything to add there? Yeah, no, I think those are all, um, those are all, you know, great points. Um, and then I think, I think what the other, you, you know, the news is never good at, at a market level. So, I mean, you're going to see, I mean, the market's going to have bottom when you're going to see some, you know, really, um, ugly headlines, I think, um, you know, and people are going to say, why is the market going up? Um, what you tend to historically, what you tend to see in markets is that, you usually want to look for, I mean, and let's just use 2009 as an example, um, but it, it's similar in other periods, but I think most people are more, um, are more familiar since it was the last uh, bear market that we had, major bear market. So what you tend to see is you tend to see big bottom, and then you tend to see another new low. And what you want to look for in the new low is you want to see, so in the first wave you see the panic selling and you see the baby being thrown out with the bathwater just everyone's just like get me out get me out get me out of everything and then when you in 2000 that was in the fall of 2008 everything was just sold then what happened in the first quarter of uh, 2009 in march we tend we made new lows but what we were seeing in those new lows was that the percentage of stocks making new lows were were was was narrowing so between March 9th, 2009 and say October or uh, the low of 2008, the S&P dropped another like close to 20%. But in that period, uh, more than half, like something like more than half the stocks in the S&P 500 were up during that period. So, or I don't know if it was half, but a high percentage of stocks were up during that period, indicating that it wasn't that, you know, one-sided one-way selling. And that's, when you tend to see that, that is, it's a great signal that you're starting to um, see uh, a bottom. That's in, historically speaking. Um, what is one of the things we've been closely uh, thinking about recently, though, is that uh, the dynamics of the market have seemed to change a little bit. Um, we're as passive investing has become so much more popular. Uh, the speed of moves has increased. Um, you remember early 2008, that was the fastest 10% correction from a record high in the history of the stock market. Um, in late 2008, we had that brief bear market on an intraday basis and then quickly rallied back. And, you know, it was the most V market decline we've seen, you know, really in any other time. And then now what we're seeing again is in this bear market, we saw the fastest 20% or even 30% decline from a record high um, in 
from a record high in the stock market's history. And I, I think one of the things bringing us to passive investing is that when with the advent of ETFs, you've reduced a lot of the friction in the market. So whereas if you had to sell, if you used to, you know, historically you would buy a stock, you would be familiar with that company, the, uh, the, the company's operations, um, and there's a reason you were buying it, not just um, to have exposure to the market or to a specific sector. Um, now, what you're seeing is you're just buying the market and selling the market, and you, can, and you can do that with the click of a button. So, whereas 10 years ago, someone may have, you would have seen bad news and said, well, do I really want to sell that uh, stock in Amazon or Google because of this news? Um, they're, you know, maybe they'll be insulated, or I like, I, I like the prospects of this company going forward. So maybe I'll hold off on that. You wouldn't be as quick to pull the trigger on it. Whereas if you're just like now, sell it, you know, SPY, sell it, you know, I, I don't need it. So I think that is a factor increasing the, the rapidity of uh, market moves. Um, and so I think it's something to watch for that these more long drawn out processes are going to become quicker uh, going forward in the future. It, it, I think it's very similar to when you go to a casino, you don't use cash at the uh, blackjack table, you transfer your cash into chips because it's a lot less, it's a lot easier to put a $25 or $50 chip on the a hand of blackjack than it is to actually, you know, take out five pens or, you know, or, or the actual cash and put it there. So the removing of the friction increases the likelihood of you making uh, moves. And sometimes those moves aren't the smartest moves. Paul, I think that's excellent. This is Matt, and I think it's a great way of explaining it. You know, two comments I want to make. First, um, I would also argue that in future corrections, I think they're going to be um, swifter in a faster period of time. So the sell-off will be quicker and the recovery is going to be quicker just with the information flow, computer trading, exchange-traded funds, passive investing. Yeah. So I absolutely 100% agree with you on that point. The other thing I want to throw out there is um, for listeners, Paul's firm uh, does a lot of raw research and we quote it a lot. And what, what would really help, and I would recommend that you would, uh, this is a plug for Paul and his firm, you know, dive deep into Bespoke. And at the end, you know, we're going to talk about how listeners can, uh, can find Bespoke uh, online. But just getting this raw research and getting um, historical data in understanding how markets have reacted in similar time periods, what the average drawdown has been, what the average time it takes to come back. And all that is very helpful because the reasons for the sell-off listeners are always going to be different. But the market tends to repeat itself and the outcome has not been different. And so um, I just really feel that in the marketplace where everyone has opinions, um, Paul's firm has those, but also comes and backs it up with a lot of raw research, which I find, and so does Mark, extremely valuable, okay? Um, so the next thing I want to ask you, Paul, is in your opinion, what is the market paying attention to now? So in essence, is it COVID caseloads, job figures coming up next week, consumer spending, congressional bailouts, the VIX index level? What do you really think the market's paying attention to right now? So, I, I mean, I, th I think right now the market is, is paying the most attention to, uh, you know, like we were saying before, the, the economy is, is on ice right now. So no one's paying attention to really to the economy because there isn't much economy to focus on. Actually, that's not 100% true. There's still a lot of people working from home. Uh, there is still things going on. 
Um, but I, I think what we're going to be focusing on in the near future is these uh, trends in case counts um, of uh, COVID patients, where it's showing up around the country, is it spreading? Um, looking at other countries, uh, their, uh, their curves for guidance, but also treatments. Uh, are we seeing um, breakthroughs in treatments? Are we seeing breakthroughs um, in testing? Because we're going to see we're going to need a lot to see a lot more um, improvement in the treatment of these um, of these uh, symptoms and the, the the severe cases in order to make people feel comfortable uh, getting back out. So, I mean, as an average American right now, or not even an average American, just anybody, um, I'll be much more comfortable going out if I know that if I do get sick there'll be hospital space for me. Or if I do get sick, there'll be a treatment. You know, there's some treatments that increase my odds of not having a real bad time. I mean, so I, I, I think if Americans are under the view that um, if they get sick, there'll be treatment there for them and, and they'll be able to get treated for it, they'll be a lot more comfortable um, resuming um, and getting back to their normal lives. It's, I think what you see now is the um, you see these outlier cases where there's the person who is otherwise healthy um, has no condition pre-existing conditions and is getting sick and that freaks a lot of people out um, but the the overall trend of things is that if people have the for the vast majority of people if people have the um, the treatment available to them um, if they get sick. I think the potential outcome for a positive outcome is, is a lot better and, and that'll make people feel more comfortable about getting back to their normal operations. So unfortunately, the stock market is supposed to be a reflection of the economy, but right now we're focusing on um, health issues, but those health issues are what will you know, clear the, the path to getting the economy moving again. Yeah. Yeah. No, there were a couple of good points there. Thank you for that. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of the stock market, I think it's pretty, pretty clear what we need to see to get markets back in order is we need to see volatility come down. So, you know, if you just plot mm -hmm. like a simple, like rate of change indicator on like a chart with the S and P 500 index going back, you know, 20 or 30 years, when the rate of change starts to peak and roll over, typically it's been, you know, a good sign of trying to put in a market bottom. So obviously when it comes to the market, we, we just need volatility to come down. Like it'd be great to have a couple of weeks where the market didn't move more than 2% either way. Um, so yeah. I think regarding the market, I think that's what we're looking for, um, you know, right now as well. But, um, the next point is that, you know, obviously coming out of this, there's going to be sectors that outperform and underperform. So once the case counts, um, kind of come under control, what sectors do you think, um, are going to take longer to recover and what sectors do you think are going to, you know, snap back rather quickly? So I, what we've been, um, telling, uh, clients, um, uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks is we've, you know, had two basic approaches to take, um, so a more conservative approach, uh, we're looking at uh, companies that you know have consistently raised their dividends uh, over the years, the so-called dividend aristocrats. But then adding on to that, um, we screened recently for companies that have raised their dividends for 50 straight years. 
Um, and then adding to that the fact that their earning, their dividend yield is a low percentage of their overall earnings. So when you take that into account, this is a really tough time right now for the U.S. economy. But these companies are, have, are companies that will have gotten through wars, um, you, know, you know, financial crises, uh, you know, financial bubbles. I mean, they, they've seen it all and they've weathered the storm, uh, so to speak. And so they may see a couple of bad, even if they see a couple of bad years of earnings, which we don't think it's going to be a couple of bad years, um, they're going to be able to, to, you know, with, withstand the, the brunt of this and um and come out in intact and in a world where the, where interest rates are pretty much zero uh they they pay there's a dividend yield so if you're a long-term investor and you you don't need you're not looking to um for the, the capital for years down the road i think some of these dividend companies are uh, high dividend payers are companies that you could do decently well in i mean like these are some of the names uh that we had and had Green four were 3M, uh, Coke, Johnson and Johnson, Colgate, Palmolive, uh, Black and Decker, Hormel Foods. So none of these companies' stocks are going to make you rich um, holding them, but they're going to, you know, provide at least a conservative approach. Um, and over the long term, they should perform in line with the market. That's an excellent point, Paul. Um, this is Matt again, um, and I appreciate the feedback. I got one more question for you. Um, you know, let's assume that COVID cases uh, come under control in the coming months. You know, the next market focus, Paul, could be going back to the presidential election. And this is going to be a very open-ended question. Do you have any comments on that topic at this time? Well, so this is, I mean, every, every election seems to get crazier than, uh, than the one before it. But, um, it, I mean, like you said, the, no one's even talking about the election right now. Right. It, you know, the, the coronavirus has sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Um, and despite the fact that Trump has been getting killed in the press uh, primary, you know, for, for his approach to or, or lack thereof, uh, based on what some critics have argued, I mean, it's more been advantageous, I think, for him than it is for Biden, because Biden has been completely, you know, you know, relegated to the sidelines. Um, you've hardly heard from him, um, and Trump is on TV every day talking about this. Um, and, you know, his poll numbers reflect that. Uh, just the other day, we saw the Gallup numbers for Trump's approval rating is actually tied for the highest level of his presidency. So, um, you know, despite a lot of the criticism, um, you know, his numbers are holding up uh, relatively well. So, I mean, it's just really interesting. And I mean, our black, uh, you know, like our, you know, maybe say black swan um, prediction for the election in the fall is we wouldn't be surprised if Biden's not even the nominee if um, somehow, I mean, you've seen, I don't know how much attention he's been getting out in Ohio, but I mean, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo has just been, he's seen his star rising like relentlessly over the last uh, several weeks for his daily briefings um, on the, on the, uh, the outbreak. And it, it sort of, you know, reminds me to the days when uh, his demeanor um, reminds me of, the, of how everyone used to like uh, FDR's fireside chats during the depression. Like, I mean, he, he's, Cuomo's not giving good news, but at least he's, you know, leveling with um, his constituents and 
people really have, have you know, warmed up to his message. And so, I mean, it, I mean, I'd give it low odds, but I mean, I, I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if somehow you, you saw him as the Democratic nominee. And even the prediction markets, it's still low, but he's actually showing up on the prediction markets um, with better at a better likelihood than even uh, Bernie Sanders at this point, who was just recently the front runner. I mean, uh, uh, two months ago was the front runner. So, I mean, it's going to be a really fascinating um, election year. I don't know what the market impact is going to be, but um, it's just these, this situation, I think it, in the, despite all the bad news, it, it's been helping out uh, Trump more than it's been helping Biden, which, it, you know, runs contrary to what most people would be thinking, given the coverage. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's been, uh, it's definitely been an interesting year with all of the uh, the Democratic candidates and everything. And, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions on, you know, who, you know, what do you think it is going to happen if one of the Democratic candidates get into office? And we're just like, listen, we don't like to make portfolio adjustments based on uh, presidential nominee speculation. Um, right. You know, it's just that's just not we're not in the business of, of doing that. Um, and I think the other thing that a lot of people make the mistake is that they let their personal beliefs get in the way of how they want to invest. Yeah, with, right. Yeah, with that um, because I mean, take mm -hmm. the last two presidents, for example. So when uh, President Obama got elected and you were say a Republican or didn't agree with Obama's policies and you're like, you know what? I think he's going to wreck the economy. I'm not going to invest anymore. Well, you missed out on a lot of gains, right? And then same thing with Trump. If you weren't a Trump fan, um, you think he was going to wreck the economy. You didn't invest well, you missed out on some gains. So I think that people need to kind of separate the two in terms of your, you know, political beliefs and then your investing beliefs. Yes. I mean, they, they are, it's like oil and water. They, 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 they don't, they, they don't mix. Um, it's, you know, exactly your point. I mean, when Obama got elected, we had clients who, who weren't invested at all, who were just bearish the entire time. And then when, when Trump was elected, you saw a very similar trend with other clients. And even the consumer confidence numbers show these, these facts. When, when Obama was president, confidence among Republicans uh, was lower than Democrats. And then when Trump was elected, you saw the opposite happen. So, I mean, people, it, I mean, people, I mean, just focus on more than politics for, for you know, it, it, right. it's such a waste of time. <laughs> It is. It really is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I mean, I think we we get a we we will publish uh, a lot of information on elections on election year patterns. But our overall theme is that you you don't um, necessarily you know that shouldn't dictate your policy towards investing. And you know, coming into next year, whether it's Trump or whether it's um, it, it's a Democrat uh, Biden, whoever it is there's going to be, um, you know, payback for all the, you know, the stimulus money that we've, we've had. So maybe even if Trump is reelected, you, you may see uh, tax policy not, not be as uh, friendly to corporations as it was because um, we're spending a lot of money right now. So it's, it's going to be, um, you know, you can't just keep spending money forever. Right. And yeah, that's actually funny. You brought that up. Matt and I were just talking about that um, yesterday was that, you know, this is, and, and I agree, they, you know, the government needs to get money in people's hands right now. And I don't disagree with that at all. But eventually, 
I think this is going to cause some problems down the road. Um, you know, I don't think you can have this big of a fiscal stimulus package and not have consequences at some point, but what those consequences are and when those are going to start to come back up is, you know, unknown at this point, right? Right. I mean, we have no idea, but what I would say is that if you're going to shut down the economy, you have to, um, if we didn't do anything, if we only shut down the economy and did nothing, we, I mean, that you're looking at a depression. Um, right, so right. I think, so like, yes, but there's going to be, there's going to be repercussions of, of this, uh, down the road, um, un- unintended consequences. Um, nobody, you know, there's going to be things that pop up, but I, I think at this point, if you shut down the economy, which we did, then we have to, you have to have something to, um, at least provide life support. You know, you can't put the, you can't put a, you know, a patient in an induced coma and then rip out the IV. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And then I just, I hope that they, they do it the right way. Um, just because the, the, some of the things I was reading about the Senate bill, um, last night were just kind of concerning to me. So for example, um, I read that, you know, based on wherever you got your tax refund, whatever bank account, your tax refund from 2018 went into, that's the account that they're going to deposit these stimulus checks into. But it's like, okay, well, what if someone closed that bank account, then how are you going to get them the money? Um, Or what if you didn't get a refund in 2018? How is that going to work? So I think there's still you know, just to play devil's advocate, I think that this is a great thing that they're going to get money out to people, but how are they going to overcome problems like that? If that's the route that they're going to take, you know, that's going to cause problems in and of itself. So I just want to, you know, put that out there that yes, this is good that we're doing this, but you know, people got to think of, of problems like this of saying, you know, they switched bank accounts or they didn't get a refund in 2018. So how, you know, how are you going to overcome that problem? Right. And, you know, that gets back to what we were talking about earlier is when we do open up the economy, we have to be proactive and think of these things, uh, you know, think of, of potential, you know, bumps in the road that are going to pop up, um, you know, so we're not all just sitting there at that time and being like, oh, shoot, didn't think of that. <laughs> you know, like these things, like we, as, you know, as, as Governor Cuomo actually said, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, you know, so while we're, you know, mid, trying to mitigate the spread of this virus, we have to also plan for when um, the economy does open back up and we are ready to get things going again um, and how and what guidelines are going to be in place because we don't want to be caught in a situation where we're like, oh, that account's closed, like you just said, with, like with distributing uh, any stimulus or aid money. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Paul, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to talk to us. I know um, listeners are going to be pretty happy just because uh, we quote you guys a lot during our podcast and love your stuff. So we really appreciate you um, coming on here this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was uh, great to talk. And uh, hopefully, you know, we, we do get through uh, all this um, sooner rather than later. I mean, obviously, we're, we're going to get through it. We just want to do it uh, sooner than have a drag on. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, just to wrap up, what are kind of the best ways for um, people to follow you and your firm's research going forward? I know um, you guys have a Twitter account and we'll link to that in our show notes, but is there anywhere else you suggest that people um, check yeah, you guys so, out? So we have our Twitter account, um, which is at Bespoke Invest. Um, and then on our website, 
It's bespokepremium.com. We have a blog site there where we um, discuss um, different uh, market trends and economic research. Uh, you know, today we were just talk, discussing, um, you know, had, had our most recent post on there was on the jobless claims numbers. But, you know, we're always putting content on there. And then we also have a, and that's free, and then we also have a uh, paid research uh, service with various levels, um, which, you know, are geared towards anywhere ranging from just active investors and people who do it themselves to um, independent uh, RIAs like yourselves, and then, um, you know, all the way up into institutional managers, hedge funds, uh, endowments, and pension funds. So our research services run the gamut. Um, and I think what you were talking about earlier is that we, everybody's going to have some opinions and things, but we, our focus is, is, you know, giving clients, you know, the historical blueprint or, you know, the, the, the blueprint for, um, and, and the history behind things and let them draw their conclusions as well. Because, um, you know, just being armed with that info, I think, um, is much better than having someone tell you buy this because you know my gut says it's a good it's a good thing to do yeah yeah and i completely agree with you and we were talking about this before we started recording is that's you know that just falls right in line with why matt and i started this podcast is that you know people get most of their news when they're home eating dinner at six o'clock at night and you know you don't get the full story there so it's nice to be armed with some of this data that you guys provide and um, you know, hopefully gives people the other side to the story where they're not just hearing all of the negative news, but they, um, they kind of get a balanced opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, just, you know, there's always two sides to every story. And that's, I think investors uh, need to always be aware of that. Great, great. Well, thank you so much, Paul, all for right. joining us. Well, yes, yeah, thanks for having me on. We will link uh, listeners all of uh, Paul's uh, information to the Bespoke Twitter account. Uh, it'll be on our show notes at uh, jessupwealthmanagement.com. Just hover over the podcast tab. Um, Mark and I will be back early next week with a summary of the government stimulus bill. And um, Paul, lastly, thank you again, my friend. We appreciate your time today. Very valuable. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. 
Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.